Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Father God, we thank you so much for everything we've been praying for over the last four weeks. We are aware of how much we've been praying, Lord. We thank you so much for every prayer that has been heard in heaven. We thank you, Lord, for all those who stood at the front or came to the middle, Lord, and say, please pray for me as I continue to serve. I know God has called me, not just to be, but also to serve and to fulfill his kingdom. I pray we may be a church that bears fruit. I pray that everything we do, Lord, would you give us the design, the passion, to give glory to you as our motivation for why we do things. I pray today, Lord, even as we prayed for those who sacrificially give themselves to the church, those, Lord, who with their own money are able to serve us in such a way that we find ourselves so grateful of your love and grace among us. I pray today, pour out your spirit upon us as a people. May your grace abound. Lord, you have chosen us from all walks of life. We were doing our own stuff. We were busy with our own things. But Lord, you had grace. You had mercy and love, which you've lavished upon us today. And for that, we are grateful. Because now we are the people of God. Now we are chosen. Now we have received mercy. Now we are called the beloved. We thank you for this great grace, this great love that you've shown us. We ask that you bless us today and bless our message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Election passed. Lesson from the Old Testament. One of the things that you've got to realize about the Bible is that God has always been on a mission of choosing people. God has chosen people from before the foundation of the earth. He knew that today you will be sitting right here where you are. It's not a surprise that you are where you are today because God had a plan that you should be here. It's not a mistake that you find yourself where you are seated here. I'm sure you know that. But the story of God, as it unfolds in the Bible, is very unique in many ways. Because when you read the Bible, one of the things that you find is that if you read a passage of Scripture, suppose you don't know the Bible, but you read a passage of Scripture, and I say to you, how do you think this story is going to end? And I'm pretty sure many of you would say, having read it, I didn't think it was going to end like this. Why? Because when God comes and is in the picture, he changes our lives and he does the impossible. Now, God called a man called Abraham. And God gave Abraham promises. He chose him out of all the peoples of the earth. He went and handpicked Abraham and he gave him promises. And God said, you, Abraham, are going to bear my image. You're going to represent me in this world. And through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And not only did God call Abraham, through Abraham, God called his son Isaac. And through Isaac, God called his son Jacob. And the story goes forward, and he gave him a name, Israel. And from Israel, the people of God were born. A nation out of nothing. God was able to raise a nation, a people who were now called the people of God. It went from one man being called by God to now a community 
called by God. And the church is a community that God has called for now. To represent God, to bear his image, and to fulfill the purposes of God here on the earth. But I would love to see some of the lessons of the way God calls us from the Old Testament. And then we'll go to the New Testament and see what the difference is in how God has been calling his people. Let's start with maybe seven lessons on how God chooses people in the Old Testament. Let's look at Abraham. God chooses the lost and the sinful through Abraham. Number one, God chooses the lost and the sinful. Let me tell you this. You don't hear much about Abraham and how God chose him until you read the book of Joshua in Joshua 24. Joshua begins to talk to the people of God and he helps them to understand how is it that God chooses and elects his people. And he says there that Abraham worshipped idols. And yet, the man who worshipped idols, the man who was sinful, the man who was separated from God, the man who was nothing, the man who was dead, God somehow seems to go for him to choose him so that he might bear the image of God. What does that say about us? What does that say about the world? If God chooses sinners to fulfill his promises, it means that the church should be among sinners. If God is able to handpick people, not because they are all sorted, because they are sinful, in their sinful lives, and he's able to handpick them for his purpose, and obviously transform them, it means in this community, in this city, in this world, there are many people out there who are like Abraham, who God has got a calling upon their lives. Not only that, it means you and I, when God called us, we were not sorted. You were not sorted. You were not perfect. I was not perfect when God called me. I was like Abraham. God calls those who are sinful, those who are worship idols, and he calls them out to himself. And he still does that even now. Number two, Moses. This is in no particular order at all. God does not choose based on appearance. Remember Moses. One moment he's a prince. He looks great. He looks good. He looks as though he doesn't fit in among the people of God. The next moment, where is Moses? He's run away because he's killed someone. He lives in shame. He's distanced from the people of God. He lives, he's an outcast with shame. You could go to Moses and look at him as a prince. Maybe the people of God would have done that. They go to Moses and say, look at how he lives. He lives like a, one of the, our enemies. Look at him. And then later, you look at Moses in the desert. He's married a foreigner. He lives as an, uh, an, an immigrant. He's out there. He's not part of the people of God. And he lives under shame. And you could, you could go to Moses and say, look at him. He doesn't look like the kind of person that God will choose. And yet, God goes to Moses, the one who's cast out, the one who's out. And he brings him in. He gives him the promises as you go and set the people free. Not only that, Moses himself disqualified himself before God. Remember that? 
And he says, I can't even speak properly. How many of you today would say that? How many of you, if I was to put you here to come and speak, you'll say, no way. I wouldn't even know where to start. How many times do we, as the people of God, disqualify ourselves? And let me say this. The majority of the time, it's not because we can't do it. It's because the battle is in the mind. And the battle that says, you cannot, you are not good enough, you can't do it. But the one who calls has a plan. And he knows why he's called you. I mean, if think about this. You walk, you're walking in Jerusalem, and the, a group of Pharisees there, they look great. They are wearing their beautiful robes. And then you go to the next city of Samaria, and there's a lady there who is a prostitute. Which of the two will God choose? Obviously, we don't know, but the story of the Bible tells us that God did actually, over a Pharisee, choose a sinful lady. Because it wasn't how the person looked on the outside, dressed up nice with holy garment, looking all great and walking straight. Lijo, am I walking straight enough? I can't quite figure out how Lijo walks. He's really straight. He's really cool. He's, you know. I'm kidding. But God does not choose like that. He does not choose those who appear holy. Because only he is able to change our appearance. Only he is able to transform us. He doesn't choose us because we are sorted out there. He is the one who sorts us out. And the same happened with Moses and others that God chose. Number three, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel. God chooses for his glory. What do we know about these three couples? Let me tell you. We know that when God spoke to them, when God came to their lives, all three couples could not have children. That's interesting, isn't it? Three generations. God somehow seems to be choosing people that he knows really well can't have children. Why is he doing that? Because God, as he chooses you, and there are some limitations and shortcomings and things that you cannot do, God has the power to use those situations for his glory. He's able to transform what is impossible with man. And he's able to make it possible for his glory so that you might bear fruit. So Abraham was old. He didn't think he was going to have children. Sarah even laughed. But God had a plan. God was able to handpick those. He could have done it with other people, couldn't he? Who were sorted. Who had all that it takes. But God had a plan with the ones who don't look like they have it all. And we are the kind of people who don't have it all. And God has chosen us. We haven't got it. We haven't got all the answers. But we have God on our side. Number four, Moses and Joseph. God's calling makes sense within the community. What do they have in common? Moses and Joseph. Joseph as a man who was not treated well by his family, 
We know that they wanted to kill him, his brothers. He ended up in Egypt. He was cast out. He wasn't part of the family anymore. So we are doing the Bible now. We are, we are exploring the Bible together. And he, Joseph, ended up in Egypt thinking that he's just escaping. He survived and everything is okay. But God used him to bring the community of the people of God or the community of God that were going to starve to bring the community to Egypt so that they might be provided for. Which means your calling, as God calls you, he is able to use you so that the community of God might benefit. But not only that, Moses was the opposite, isn't it? So Joseph takes the people to Egypt and they go there so that they might escape famine. But what does Moses do? He brings them out of Egypt so that they might escape slavery. God called Moses and put him within that community so that his calling is not just outside there. It made sense only within the context of community. So what about you? God has called you and handpicked you within the community so that your calling would make sense. Sorry, I'm looking for my mobile phone. Reynard sent me a lovely message well, to the elders this week, which I, I would love to read because I thought it was, was really, really helpful for what we are talking about this morning. This is what Reynard sent. This was not written by Reynard, just to quote. It wasn't written by Reynard, it's by R.C. Sproul. He's really encouraging us, Reynard, and um, in, in encouraging the elders. He, said, he says, quote, R.C. Sproul, he says, It is both foolish and wicked to suppose that, the will, that we will make much progress. Sorry. It is both foolish and wicked to suppose that we will make much progress in sanctification if we isolate ourselves from the visible church. And let me change sanctification, because it's a hard word, but let me put the word calling there. It is both foolish and wicked to suppose that we'll make much progress in our calling if we isolate ourselves from the visible church. Indeed, it is commonplace to hear people declare that they don't need to unite with a church to be a Christian. They claim that their devotion is personal and private, not institutional or corporate. This is what he says. This is not the testimony of the great saints of history. It is the confession of fools. God has placed us, has called us, and our calling makes sense when we are in the community like this. Five, prophets in the Bible, priests in the Bible, and kings. God chooses individuals from within communities. Every single prophet that God chose, he didn't just choose them. He chose them within the people of God. And he gave them a mandate to go and fulfill the plan of God within the people of God. What does that mean? It means every single one of you within the community of God, you have been called for something. God has called us corporately as a church to fulfill his vision and his plan in this nation and also around the world. 
But Joe, there's a plan of God why you are here. God has a plan, Lijo, why he's put you here. Jacob, Susie, within the community, why he's placed you here. Prophets were able to bring revelation to the people of God and help the people of God to realign with God. Kings were able to lead the people of God so that they might show the world what God is like, what a kingdom that is ruled by God looks like. Priests were able to intercede for the people of God so that their sins might be atoned for. What has God called you to do when he placed you in City Hill to be part of this church? You need to answer that question. Six, David. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. The Bible talks about how Peter and John were unschooled, ordinary people. If you had come to David when he was still a shepherd boy and everyone said, David is going to be the king, you would have said, no way. Because his brother said, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. You're not qualified to fight this battle. No, God does not call you because you are qualified. He calls the unqualified. He is the one who qualifies you. David is a shepherd boy. God prepares those he calls. You didn't know this. Some of you did, probably. My middle name is David. I think it's a cool name now. I used to not like it, but now I think it's really cool. My middle name is David. Why am I saying this? Because I can relate to this. When I became a Christian, I didn't know what God had been doing behind the scene before he called me to belong to him. But now I look back, and I'm so grateful for all that I've been through before I became a believer, because it was a preparation for what he was going to call me to do. For those of you who don't know my background, I've got my sister over there who can testify if I'm lying. Lomi, can you just wave? That's my seat. Please stand. I don't want to embarrass you. Yeah, that's my sister over there. You can sit. She's my youngest sister. She's so young, younger than me. She means everything I'm going to say now, she probably wasn't born when it happened. But anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> she just needs to nod. Um, I grew up looking after plants, like vegetables, on my, my parents' fields. I grew up looking after cows. And I, let me tell you this, I despised it. I did not like it. I thought it was the worst thing that you could do as a young man. I looked after chickens. I told you the story. I had a chicken and it died at age eight. It grew up with me. It was born around the same year as I was born. I looked after it really well. The story of my chicken. I wish I had a picture. But the point is not to make you laugh. It's to drive a point home, okay? All of what I was doing, I thought it was slavery. How, how dare parents put their children through this? We're suffering. I wish I was the, like the guy next door. Little Timmy next door, he wakes up in the morning, the cereal by his bed, he's playing PlayStation the whole day, 
and then he goes to sleep and he doesn't have to do all these things. Fussy, on the other hand, is laboring. Five o'clock in the morning, he's up. He's going and doing stuff. By the time school starts, he's already done quite a few things. Lazy parents. Why are they not doing it themselves? That's me. That's how I used to think about it. But little did I realize that God was preparing me for what he was going to call me to do. And as a, you could call it a shepherd boy, God was preparing me to shepherd his people. For some of you, God might have been doing a lot behind the scene for what he was going to call you to do. It might be in your profession. It might be in another field. It might be as you were growing up. And then one day, Joel comes. I'm not the, the kind of person who asks people to do stuff in this church. Joel does. But um, he comes and he says, would you like to help us in this area? And what would we like to say? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not qualified to do that. I'm not trained to do that. That's not my field. Um, uh, get better people who can come and do that. This is not me. Um, God didn't train me. You guys must put together like a discipleship training. God's discipleship training started many, many years ago because he knew that one day you'll be here today and behind the scene, he's been preparing you. The question is, are you aware of it? He prepared David, who looked after his father's sheep, who protected his sheep from lions and bears and you name it. But because he had a bigger plan for what he was calling him to do, maybe, just maybe, you are ready, but you don't realize you are ready. Because what God had been doing behind the scenes. Don't disqualify yourselves for what God had been calling, doing behind. So that's how God has been calling people all along. But let's look at how God calls now. Election present. Which means all these things that I've just read are true of the people of God now as they were back then. But what more do we learn about God's elect? Ephesians 2 helps us. Ephesians 2 helps us to know the kind of people we were before God called us. I don't know about you. I, when I became, when I was not a Christian, I did not realize this was me. I don't know if you did. The Bible tells us that we followed the ways of the world. Do you remember ever doing that? The Bible tells us that I, one day, made the decision I was going to follow the ways of the world. The world that is synonymous with the fallenness of the world, the brokenness of the world. That's who we were. Anything that despised God, anything that was against the will of God, we followed. We just went for it. We enjoyed. We followed the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit who's now at work among those who are disobedient. That's who we followed. The power of the air. The man, the, the one who was leading us astray. We found comfort in following him. That's the kind of people we were. We, we gratify the cravings of our flesh. Whatever our flesh desired to, to do or to have, we went for it. That was important for us. It was pleasing to the eye. It was pleasing to the flesh. And we went for it. We touched. We ate. We, we did everything that was not pleasing to God. The kind of people we were. We were the kind of people who deserved God's anger and wrath. 
That's the kind of people we were. Well, Rolster, imagine you had done something really good and you helped a young uh, old lady cross the road and it was a noble thing to do. It was great. And so then someone comes to you and says, you know that guy over there, yeah? And that guy has just committed the worst crime in the world. Um, it's really bad. What is it? The guy, um, I'm not going to mention the kind of crime. But you just helped the lady cross the road. This person has just done the worst thing. And then Jesus comes. And you both report what you've just done. And then Jesus says, to you who just helped the lady cross the road, you like the rest of them. You just like him. Ouch. That's because we were, regardless of our good works, regardless of our effort, regardless of everything we did really well, we were like the rest of mankind. That's the kind of people we were. But let's find out the kind of God we have. But God, the Bible says, but God is rich in mercy. Even while we were dead, because of his great love, he made us alive in Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. God elected you. God chose you. God brought you to himself. And it was him single-handedly doing it because you couldn't do it yourself. The bad God moment is a big moment in the history of Christianity. Because without the bad God moment, we would still be dead today. Without the bad God moment, we'll still be lost today. But God came and rescued us and brought us to himself through the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ, who came to take the penalty of sin on our behalf. Jesus embraced our sin. He embraced our lostness. He embraced everything about us. All the things that we, we talked about there, our loss and everything, he embraced it. He absorbed it. And he absorbed the wrath of God so that on our behalf, Jesus stood so that we might be set free and become the people of God today. There are small but God moments sometimes that we go through, right? I talk to people all the time and people say, I felt overwhelmed with so much, you know, the burdens in my life. I just couldn't cope. But God. I was isolated in this city when I, felt, when I first came. I just didn't have anyone. But God brought me into a community. I was in debt. I didn't know where to turn, who to talk, talk to. I just couldn't come through. But God. I was dying in hospital. And everybody thought I was not going to make it. But God. Here's my question. What is your but God moment? The greatest but God moment was when he made us alive in Christ. When he set us free from the power and the dominion of darkness and called us to belong to him, to be his own. What about the kind of people we are today? The Bible tells us that we are God's 
workmanship. The way I like to describe this. Does anyone here know some of the greatest painters of all time? Can you name them? The greatest artists of all time. It's funny you mentioning different people at the same time. Doesn't really go for me. Leonardo da Vinci, I've got him here. I'll, 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 I'll just check if it does line up, all right? So who else? Michelangelo, yep. Picasso, yep. Vincent van Gogh, yep. Good morning. Who said that? Monet, yep. These are great people, right? There might be people in your culture as well who are great, right? I see some of the, the, the stuff coming from Africa. Amazing art. From India and places like that. Amazing art. But these are some of the people in the West who are the best or the greatest ever. Like Rembrandt, Rembrandt van Rijn and many others. Pablo Picasso, as you mentioned. Vincent van Gogh. Leonardo DiCaprio. Michelangelo. Leonardo da Vinci. Okay, let me just. No, no, no. You know what I was doing? I was checking to see if you guys are awake. Yeah. Leonardo da Vinci. All right. Are we okay now? We on the same page? Okay, that's good. So all these guys, think about them bringing all these people, their greatest work ever. And they bring everything, okay? I'll start with Leonardo da Vinci. He brings his work. Pablo, he brings his work. Vincent, he brings his work. Rembrandt, he brings his work. And everyone, they bring the greatest works ever, that they've ever done. And now they are fetching hundreds of millions of dollars. And they put them on display. And then they say, God, bring your greatest art ever. You know what God does? Sorry, Ruth. Oh, okay. No, 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 not Ruth. Ruth, it's you as well, by the way. God handpicks you. And he puts you there. And the price on you, it says, you can't afford me. All these, 300 million, 145 million, the best painting that's ever sold, da-da-da-da-da. None of this is as good as God's work of art. So, Christina, you, you paint, right? Am I exposing you and putting you on your spot here? So, Christina brings her work as well. But none of what you've seen so far. People go to the, the Louvre in, um, in Abu Dhabi or in France, and they look at all some of the greatest works. Let me say this. Alphonse, you are God's greatest work that is ever designed, that the world has ever seen. Every single one of us because of his great love that he had over us. Because of his grace, he's been able to form us into the best painting the world has ever seen. That's who you are. God's work of art. From where we were 
The kind of God we have is able to make us the greatest in the world in that he's able to make us a beautiful masterpiece that he has designed with his own hands. But we were dead, and today God has made us alive. And by the way, we used to do bad works in the past. Remember I said we always followed the prince of the air. God has elected you for his good works. So today, we are the good works people. Not because we just see a lady cross the street, an old lady crosses the road and who can't walk properly, we help. No, 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 because we are made in the image of God. We say in this situation, what will God do? And we do the same. That's who we are. But let's look at election in the future and in closing. And the best way to do this is to get three chairs to be put on the stage and get my three people to come and join me here. I'm going to call you by name. Zacchaeus, can I have you on stage? Rose, can I have you come on stage? Uh, can I just say, can, these people are not Zacchaeus, Onesimus, and Rose, all right? Where's Onesimus? We're not going to call you Oni. It sounds cool, right? This is the shorter. One day in the future, imagine we are wondering how this election plan of God happened. And in heaven, there's a dialogue. It's a panel discussion that you are listening, you are eavesdropping, you're listening in, and you are hearing stories of the people that God chose. This is what the future. I'm not saying that one day there's going to be a discussion group in heaven. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just helping you to understand what's going to happen. Let's hear Zacchaeus take the stage. What's he going to say? I collected tax. I was bad. I took advantage of poor. Um, I made so much money by exploiting the poor. And I was so rich that I lacked nothing. But none of what I had could satisfy me. I realized that there was still something missing from me. I needed the kind of hope that money could not give me, but I could not find it as I was hated by all for what I have been doing. One day, as I heard about Jesus of Nazareth coming to Jericho, I thought oh, maybe I'll just go and see. The crowd just kept growing to, wit uh, to witness Jesus. I knew he was a righteous man, and it made no sense for him to even consider me because of all the bad things I have done. I was the shortest man in the crowd, as you can see. I'm still short and almost sinful person, I think. I just sat on the tree to witness everything. But as for me, I was doomed to destruction. But God handpicked me out of the crowd and came to my house. He called me by name. He restored my life and cleansed me from my corrupt ways. He stripped me of my sinful life and all that came with it. That's why I'm here. Only God could do this. Wow. Let's applause Zacchaeus. Okay, let me explain who Rose is. Oh, do you want to explain yourself, Rose? So it's my turn to share. I was living in shame. I was married so many times. Let me see. Four times, maybe five. I also had a guy I was in a relationship with. For me, I craved love and acceptance. And any man who showed interest in me, I fell for him. 
I can't even tell you how I met the last guy I was living with. It's really scary looking back now, just how messed up I was. The whole town despised me. People did not even want to associate with me. Ladies would not want to go and draw water with me. I was stigmatized. I hated myself too. I had no hope. I hate life and sometimes I even contemplated suicide. But one day, I just happened to be going to the well to draw water. I went on my own, no company. Like I said, nobody would hang out with me. When I got to the well, I met this man who asked me for water. He was a Jew. And he was talking to me, a Samaritan woman. Even more surprising, he asked me for water. You know how it was with the Jews and Gentiles. Jews, they would not want to associate with us, let alone ask us for water. The man told me everything about me and even offered me living waters. My life was turned around and my shame was gone. My stigma left me and I was changed to a point that I even went to my town and gathered everyone there to tell them about what happened to me. Since then, my life has never been the same again. Oh, the man was Jesus. That's Rose. My name is Onesimus. I was a slave. I used to work for Master Philemon. I still call him Master Philemon. It was not easy as I had to do five people's work, and I worked without break. I was treated so badly that I could not cope. I had heard that my master became a believer in Jesus of Nazareth. I'd also seen wonderful men called Paul, together with his friends, come to host meetings in the living room of my master's villa. But I was not allowed to go in there. It was none of my business. One day, I decided I was going to take this, I wasn't going to take this any longer. By this, I'm referring to the hard labor. I was going to run away to, and hide somewhere. I did not want my master to find me because running away as a slave was punishable by death. I went to a faraway country and one day, as I was going about my business, I bumped into Paul. I was shocked and scared. He got hold of me and asked me to come and chat. He asked me why I ran away and he asked me if I understood the consequences. I said yes. That's why I'm tried, that's why I tried to hide. He took me in. After a couple of days, he introduced me to Jesus. My identity was restored. I saw, for my, I saw myself for the first time through God's eyes and no longer through the eyes of a slave. He gave me a letter and asked me to go back. I hesitated as I was scared. He said to me, it's over. Your master will receive you well from today onwards and he will treat you with respect and dignity. He will pay you on time and a fair salary. He will always treat you like a brother. I asked, how is this possible? He said, when you read this letter, you will understand. And the answer is the gospel. So I went back and my life was forever different. Life changed for the better. Wow. Question, did you ever find out who Rose was? Who was it? It was a Samaritan woman. Here's a question. You hear Zacchaeus tell his story, the Samaritan woman tell her story, and Onesimus tells his story. 
the question is, what if you join the panel? What would be your story? How did God call you? And why did God call you? And what changed in your life when God called you? And if there are people here today, you say, I wouldn't be able to stand there because I have no story to share. God wants to give you your story. And the story is that of the gospel, that he takes people from nothing and he calls them into something. He makes them who he, he plans to, them to be and he gives them a vision, he gives them a call, he gives them his image, that they'll bear his image so that they will fulfill the plan of God in the world today. I want us to stand and to read together what these people, together with you, will look like in the future. One day, as you stand now, you will be clothed in white robes and you'll be standing before God. And this is what will be happening. Can we have the passage? And can we all read together? After this, behold. Sorry, let's read together, shall we? After this, I looked. And behold, a great multitude that no one could come from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and for the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. You and I, Zacchaeus, Onismas, and everyone, we will be standing there and we will be saying this because God one day chose you and he chose them and he will choose many in this city for his glory. That is the church of the living God. Let's applaud the Lord again, shall we? Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.